I'm going to be uh, chatting with Athel Williams, who's the author of the book Pushing Boulders. In the last hour, we were chatting uh, to the CEO of Taxify. Here's a guy who's 19 years old. He was still in school, and he started this incredible business, Taxify, and now he's got a million customers. And he's he's still a lighty. It's amazing. Um, so we were also chatting with Sashaba G about the Nalibali Read Aloud for Literacy campaign and and what they're going to be doing tomorrow. But I go now to Ethel Williams, who's in Oxford in the UK. Good morning to you, sir. Hi, Lindsay. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for agreeing to chat with us. Your your book. Uh, pushing boulders has a quote in it that people often uh, bring out and they say, I'm often asked derisively, why am I so angry? And I suggest to my challengers that perhaps if they'd suffered what I have, perhaps they too would be this angry. And I encourage inquirers to rather ask themselves, with all the injustices around us, why they aren't angry. So my question to you to start is, should we be angry about this book, The Rainbow Nation Navigation? I don't, I don't, you know, anger is a very interesting emotion um, as, a res, as a response to things, Lindsay. I think anyone will have a negative reaction to their culture being trivialized. And patronized. Um, matter, and, and patronized, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah. so I think no matter who you are and where you are in mm. the world, when, so, when it is perceived that someone is patronizing you and trivializing mm. your, your, your culture, your beliefs, I think a negative reaction is expected. Um, and in fact, a negative reaction is warranted. Mm. Um, and of course, we've seen this, I think there has been an angry reaction uh, to certain parts of the book, particularly, particularly the section on, on coloreds. Um, and in many ways, I think it's warranted, the reaction. But I also want to, and I'm sure we'll discuss this, uh, I think there, there is a constructive way we can work through this um, which, which I haven't seen in the, in the discourse uh, too much to date. Well, that's what I'm, where I'm trying to go with this, because I, I can understand that people can feel affronted. I can really understand yeah. that. And um, why I was excited and why you were my first go-to person was I think it's so much more important that we have these kind of dialogues, because sadly what this does is reminds us that we're still here. <laughs> We're still here. Yeah. And and my bigger question is, where do we go from here? Yeah. And, and you're a wonderful example of somebody with your book, Pushing Boulders, who is, uh, just by virtue of who you are and your story, for me, you are where, what we should be modeling. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. I think what I... What I think we need, just, just two things on what you just said, Lindsay. The one is, I think if you're an adult in South Africa today, regardless of what race or gender you are, we have to accept that we live with the, with the legacy of racist apartheid within yes. our psyche. Yes. Right? Yes. So, so step one is to, to cut ourselves some slack, to, mm. to perhaps grow in a bit of tolerance in the way we deal with each other. I think secondly... If you asked even if you asked ten different coloured people to describe coloured culture, I think there'll be ten different answers. Um, and there should and be ten different answers, because but, but the, because, because the, of the diversity. It shouldn't be no. something that you can package and say this is what it is. 
I completely agree. And I think this is true, by the way, for, for black South Africans, for white South Africans, for Indian South Africans. We are not this homogenous group that have all derived from one particular line. Mm. Um, we've got this rich diversity, even within those groups who we often portray as homogenous, mm. uh, more so amongst colored South Africans. We've got an amazingly rich um, heritage and history. Uh, you know, we, we often, I think, are depicted as merely a mix of, of black and white, whereas we've got indigenous Khoisan people, um, obviously descendants of, of African and Asian um, slaves. But there's a, there's a richness there which is, is diverse mm. and cannot mm. be cannot be summarized in five lines to, to talk about a typical colored person because of this diversity. And, um, and, and I think that is so critical, is to, to celebrate this incredible uh, diversity in, in, in our DNA. Um, but I think at the same time, uh, you know, I think we also just need to put it in context before we chat a little bit more about um, sharing and honoring culture is to look at the publisher, Paula Marais. Um, mm. and, and for me, you know, I do understand that, you know, the average white South African might be completely unaware of their unearned white privilege. They might be living mm. still with blinkers. But I think if you're a publisher, you've got to know that to, to offer that kind of offering, it, it shouldn't be a surprise to you that this kind of storm is going to push back. And I, yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think she was on a losing wicket even before she penned the first word to that book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, of, because of the approach. Look, yeah, I, yeah. I, the, I, again, yeah, want yeah. to be generous towards Lindsay, but you know, she, she's claiming that she had people from the Colored Community Writers section and mm. had people from the community review it. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't um, absolve her from her no. responsibility as the publisher to make sure that it was accurate. Well, um, I don't even think it's accurate. You, you, you can read, and I'm, I don't even want to get into that because I think then we're actually perp- perpetuating it. I think, you know, she, she says, you know, she feels, she, you know, she, she did it with kindness and with goodness in her heart. Um, I, I can't help feeling somebody, if she's a publisher, she must have read it. Maybe, yeah. maybe she didn't even edit it, but... You know, any any reading of that would understand how how deeply patronising and offensive it is. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. You know, and, and I don't think um, I don't think any publisher can can say, well, you know, I didn't know I was going to get this kind of response. This is not new in this country, and this country is ready for this kind of thing, and it's quick to to. Um, I guess also to interrogate it because for so long we've accepted these these documents and things that are put into the domain and young people are are, are learning from these documents which which are 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 so off-putting and and it's about understanding and learning from it. Frighteningly, she she then says that she wanted people, you know, she would have much preferred if people just gave her constructive criticism, but it's almost as if she's just not getting it. Um yeah. I I um I wanted to to also chat with um, I don't know if it's she's a Facebook friend of mine I don't even know how to say her name is it Larice or Larice? Larice, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I wanted her to to chat because she was she was saying is that the apology doesn't sit well with her, and and she was just reminding us is that you can't let other people tell your stories and and I think that's. You know, for me, your book is about, it's about talking about how, you know, 
we want to have everyone share their stories and and that's what you've done in in your in your book pushing boulders and i think that's and i think you think and now you've gone blank athol you still there i don't know what's happening i'm going to put you on hold to see if if ayama can figure that out we're going to try and sort that out while we're waiting um i'm going to just uh, uh he can't hear him okay so there's obviously something going on with the line and we back again ethel hired and know oh, what happened um, sorry i missed uh, lost you there for a second yes um what what i was saying lindsay i i wanted to make the point in pushing boulders that some of you know all of us are born into a particular context mm. and that can be a context of disadvantage it can be a context of privilege mm. the question then is for us to decide what we're going to do with that privilege mm. or do with that disadvantage and and for me it was about breaking out of these constraints that apartheid had placed on me um mm. and and showing possibility and i think that's the important thing is to for someone to pick up that story and say well i'm not going to do exactly what this guy did necessarily mm. there's this idea of possibility things i can do to to change my circumstance and i mean you know some of the things that have been quoted about your book are the things like um the 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 idea of bringing people along with you um and 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 having the courage to walk towards your dreams and you also comment on the whole idea is that when you systematically oppress a whole group of people you can often rob that people that group of people um of of their of realizing their full potential and that nearly yeah. happened to you didn't it yeah absolutely and i think i think that's exactly what has happened to to large segments of our society we be you know it's all of your life you're told you're not good enough it's all of your life you're told you are second best or third best you begin to believe it mm. i think as a society we you know in parts of our society we begun to believe that we are not good enough mm. and i think that takes time to begin to to show show ourselves that we are good enough that we we can stand among the best in the world and anything we're doing or amongst ourselves mm. i think there's a strong psyche that has to be broken uh, and you know, I see that and I do a lot of work in schools for example and when you go to different parts of the country and you ask you know young kids what they want to you know be when they grow up um and it's sad to sometimes hear young people kind of have very low ambition um because no one around them is a professional accountant or engineer or doctor uh you know they 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 grow up in an environment where you know their heroes are, are gangsters or you know people sort of you know louding about mm. and so and so we have to firstly break out of this idea that we have these artificial constraints i don't want to trivialize the constraints lens because i think we you know we do still face massive socioeconomic oppression in parts of our society um but i think there's also things we can do as individuals to begin to break free from that and i think the sad thing when when people are stunted from re- realizing their potential and you also say this is that um you rob everyone of of realizing our unity as humanity and i think yeah. that's the sadness the other person i wanted to get on who also couldn't make it was a, a um Patrick Tariq Mele yes. yeah. and and he had he has commented a lot and he speaks 
about really being unhappy about this label of being coloured. And, and he's saying um, the term doesn't say who we are, but it, it emphasises what we're not. Um, but he also says, and it will never take away are part of the greater South African heritage and reduce us to the banal. He wants um, to be called Kamisa. And and yeah. and what he was suggesting is that it's about owning and being proud of who you are. And he also speaks of uh, being so diverse, like you said, um, combining all those incredible um, coming togethers of, of the Pan-African, the South Asian, the Southeast Asian. And and he was saying is is that... All those ancient cultures and, and, and wisdom beat in the heart of what he calls yeah. the Kamisa people. And and he says the endurance of, of rising up above the adversity, of having survived, and of course you know what a historian he is, 14 yeah. indi- in, in, indigene wars um, of resistance um, over 164 years. Um, and and he, was, he was saying is, is that there's, there's, there's such a crucial part that the Kamisa have have formed in education, in skill, and in labor. And what he was saying is Cape Town wouldn't be here. South Africa wouldn't be here if it if it <laughs> if it if it wasn't for this div- diverse culture. Um, and and what he was saying the worst thing is is that um, they through through all these years that they've they've hidden the real us. And and he's countering with with the saying oh is which is we are, and yeah. and um, also is, also also is. Oh, okay I, I had a feeling I had had got that incorrectly, <laughs> and, yes. and and you know um you know he was talking about the first local play written here by a slave and being proud of us uh, our heritage yeah. the creativity and I'm saying oh because as a South African I'm sure we we all have mixed mixed race in us um and it's yeah. it's about understanding that we stand together in this um and he's he's talking about fusion cooking and he's talking about um how you know on the stage in commerce and in industry and he's talking about the spirituality of and all the mixed faith that comes yeah um and and he speaks of the joyous uh, joyousness and the ability to laugh and uh, of course he's incredibly lucid and he he researches a lot and as you as you mentioned if you asked a whole lot of people they'd come up with a different story but isn't it about uh, about people like yourself um doing what you're doing. I mean, you didn't write this book in a vacuum. I mean, you you already Absolutely. had had you know three tomes of poetry. Um, you've studied all over the place. You, you you're 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 certainly uh, probably um, most educated. I mean, I can't even count the number of of, of universities you've studied at. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think what's amazing. I mean, your, your description of of Patrick and and his amazing depth of, of analysis and explanation is doing is to begin to inform us. I think, I, you know, in some ways we can be sympathetic with each other of saying we don't know each other's histories, we don't know our own histories, mm. because that was, that was knowledge denied mm. um, for a long time. That This is not something we learned at school. Um, you know, part of writing Pushing Boulders, I was obviously researching my, my family history, and it's really hard to find that. Mm. Um, I can't go to the usual genealogy sort of places and, and mm. find our background because it's not documented. Yeah. And so, so it's got to be a part where, where we just inform each other and listen and learn from each other. And, you know, I think, we, I think it's natural for any of us to look at the world and look at each other through lenses 
that are a function of our social conditioning and, and, yes. and personal conditioning. But I think we also uh, need to not get defensive when that's questioned. And that's the hardest part about that. Yeah, it is the hardest part. You know, Because, again, none of us want to be – I think we, we go so quickly in South Africa to, to, South Africa to this label of racist. Yes. Um, and and that what that's done is it's made us all very scared to ask questions because the moment I ask a question, I might look dumb or look like a racist by even asking the question. Mm. Um, and like I was saying earlier, we we need to create some space for each other to begin to uh, to, to hear each other, to see each other fresh. But we've got, we've got to create a safe space for that to happen. Mm. Mm. And of course, I mean, this uh, young uh, Paula Merez is being crucified and, and, and people are sort of saying to her, but your intentions were good. Um, and, and, I, and I can see that, you know, she, you know, she says, people say I'm kind. Um, and the intention was I, I to know. get to know she, other people. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I, so, so I, you know, I, I've been very generous in everything I've said about her in a book today. <laughs> I... I, I do want to leave a little space for being cynical um, because I think she forms part of um, a South African publishing community mm. that yes. I think I think largely our, our publishing community is very insulated, very closed, not transformed, not so much in their color, but in their thinking. Yes. Um, I've seen my book again. Um, some of the reviews, some of the comments on, on, on my book were just shocking in the sense that you know, one, one um, newspaper described me as you know, a local boy made good. Yeah. Now, yeah. These, are, these are words that you could say are very innocent in a South African context. But if you think of another yeah. sense of South African context, that, that's very loaded words. It's hugely demoralizing yeah, as a boy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to, to look at, you know, I keep saying, I think I deserve a little bit more than just that, given... Given the businesses I've run, the career I've had, the universities and, I've, I've... Yeah, I mean, the academic excellence from which you come and yeah. to be called a local boy. And, and, and some people say, well, I don't mean to be patronizing when I use the word boy. And, but actually, yes, I mean, you can't have not known that this was a derogatory term and that how exactly. you, when you call people girls and boys, um, you, you know, you are not seeing them. And, and I think yeah. this is what it's about. And so for me, there's a little bit of what were you thinking um, in, so in, in this? It goes both ways, doesn't it? On the one hand, we're saying, let's be tolerant, but we're also saying, let's be sensitive. Let's not be stupid. Let, let's, let's be sensitive about what we're saying and how we're saying it. Yeah. Um, and, I think that's very important. And for me, I mean, you know, I, I really find the hate mail problematic and the death threats problematic. Yes. Because yes. for me, all you're doing is, you know, you, you, you're, you're spewing hate. Um, and, I, and, and that's why I wanted to start with anger, because anger is a very good emotion if we use it constructively. And, Agreed. And, and I think that's, you know, when, when, you, when you come from a place that you do, you're saying, this is who I am. This is what I've achieved. You're not even saying, uh, we, we also have to be careful because everyone can say, well, if you can achieve that, um, you know, it's, it's, in, in some way we romanticize it. But I think yeah. the, the truth is that there are so many incredible South Africans whose stories have not been told. And the other thing is I was just really enjoying on Facebook how well your book was doing. Yes, I, I've been amazed how well uh, my book's been doing. And, and as you say, Lindsay, there are amazing South Africans doing amazing things. And 
I, I do see us beginning to celebrate our successes more and more, and I'd love to see us do a lot more than that. Yes. Of just celebrating our successes, you know, organisations like Lead SA and other initiatives of of celebrating the work people are doing. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been very pleased with with obviously the response to the book. Um, all, all proceeds go to Read to Rise, which is a literacy NGO. So I'm going to use it as an avenue for fundraising. But the, the, the reaction to the story has been amazing from all sectors of our society. And that's been encouraging for me. Um, you know, I've, had, I've had good white friends tell me, wow, I didn't understand the colored context of which you came from. Mm. I've had colored friends tell me, wow, I didn't understand our history in the context. Yes. You helped us put some of that in, in, into historical context. Yes, and, um, and that's why people that, like Patrick are so valuable because when you talk about finding out your genealogy, I mean, he does so much work and he assists so many people in understanding that incredible rich history, which is there. Yeah. It takes a lot of delving. Um, exactly. But we need to find it and we need to understand it because you can't expect people to understand when they've had absolutely no uh, engagement with it. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think most, you know, most of us don't know a lot about our history. And so I think it takes some effort on our part to go and find this history. Um, you, know, my, you know, my general view is that South Africans' social fabric uh, is so frayed and so fragile right now. We need to strengthen that rather than kind of find more divisions in it. But that strengthening takes active effort. Um, I've got to say, let me go and find out. Let me go and um, meet people. Let me mm. get out of my little bubble um, and, and see who they are, what they're about, but also find out about my own history. Mm. Um, and, I mean, also um, what you're saying is that, you know, sometimes also when you write a book and you, you share your journey, even your friends, you say, I didn't know that about you. And, well, well you don't sit around some gathering and share that kind of stuff. Yes, know? exactly. <laughs> you know? exactly. <laughs> they yeah. know that you're a clever O, but, you know, they don't yeah. know the layers. And, and I yes, think, exactly. um, you know, the whole idea of we laugh because there's been too much crying, um, that Patrick says we sing and rejoice and we love and we hope. Um, I think, you know, we also need to understand that it's, th- there's that whole mixture, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and sometimes the richness is lost and, and we need people who are able to tell it and tell it well to do so because otherwise people will come to the party. And I do believe that this woman met, went, met, went Mel. I, I mean, um, I heard her in her interview and she was almost in tears, you know. She said, oh, sure. yeah. you know, my brother wanted to help people to understand, uh, you know, diversity, you know, and it was um, – you could hear the hurt in her voice. I've been misunderstood. Right. Um you know, I I think well, you 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 can't possibly expect people to contribute to this when when you don't get the insult that it has been, you know. And so, for me, I don't think we can stop talking about it because I think um, we do get angry, and sometimes when we get angry, we hurt each other. And once yeah. we've hurt each other, it's very difficult to leap over those those boundaries and push those boulders that you, you know, to use the, the, the title of your book. Because I think yeah. that's really what we've got to do. And, and my sense in South Africa is there are so many people who are prepared to do that. And in, in some ways, we've got to not muddy around in, in where that takes us. We've got to think, where do we go from here? Yeah, but, but, I think it's right, Lindsay. Yeah. I think a lot of my work uh, and in my poetry as well, I, ha- I sort of start with a question around or the statement around how we see each other determines the nature of our relationship and the society we build. 
So how we see each other, and I mentioned earlier this idea of looking through lenses and seeing each other. I think it's a profoundly important question to ask ourselves. You know, I often say to people, close your eyes and picture someone now of a different race, right? So if you colored picture a black person, and then, you know, what do you see? Because what I didn't see is, is built into the stereotype. It's probably got a whole bunch of false assumptions in there. Mm. And it's only when I then engage with someone um, of a different race or from a different religion or from a different part of the country do I begin to then rectify some of those false assumptions. So I have to accept that I've got these false assumptions built in, um, and that impacts the way I then not only see other people in, but behave towards them. So I'm, you know, I, I have this in the UK and I have it in South Africa all the time where people just speak to me in a way where they look, you know, where they clearly see me as you know, some, some idiot or some, you know, I don't know what, how they see me, but they're talking down to me most of the time. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and I've got to go and say, well, I understand they've got some lens that I don't approve, approve of or agree with, but I can understand why they have it there. So let's begin this process of then engaging. Um, I've done it very positively and reflectively. I think most of us re- respond very aggressively when that happens. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I, think, yeah. I think it's so important that we all say, you know, I've got a bunch of assumptions in my head about, about my country, country folk, my, yeah. my country men and women that I need to address and question. Mm-hmm. That's a very positive step. Yeah. And I think the anger that I spoke of, the anger is the thing that should move us to, to taking action and just yeah. saying we, we still have work to do. Um, and it's, and it's yeah. work that one person can't do. We have to do it collectively. And talk radio is such a wonderful medium to, to be able to, to address these kinds of things um, because we are able to hear things um, and, and, and hear from people that perhaps you know, we, we haven't been exposed to in the day-to-day yeah. world. Um, and and you know, we, can, we can criticize lenses, but they're there. And they're there, absolutely. Yeah, they're there. And, and a lot of them, a lot of them come from places of hurt. I, yes, you know, yes. I, you know, we, we've got a narrative in South Africa about you know advantage and disadvantage and hurt and you know perpetrator and victim. And the, and the thing is, a lot of us, because of our history, regardless of who we are, um, have got hurt. We have got pain. We have got resentment. Um, and I see us kind of walking around with all of this pain and hurt and not having channels. Um, through which to address them. Mm. Um, you know, I often say to someone, you know, okay, let me raise my hand. I'm a racist, right? Hi, my name is Athol. I'm a racist. Mm. But now t- help me, right? Mm. Where's, where's the meeting I go to and, or the manual I can read to help me work through this? Um, and, and often there aren't places for that. So one, I'm therefore then afraid to admit that I'm, I'm racist or sexist, whatever it is, but because I know I'm going to be ostracized and there's no way out for me. Right, because mm. you can't just tell me now, Ethel. Well, just snap out of it. Mm. Um, you know, how do we, you know, help this woman who published this book to kind of think through what really happened because she's not getting it. Yeah. Um, well, and I think that yeah. is, that's where the dialogue needs to happen. And and I mean, ironically, she's saying, you know, it would be nice to have positive criticism. And yes, I get that. I mean, you know, of course, everyone wants positive criticism. But when you don't see how much hurt you've created and you don't see that you actually passed the point of positive criticism, then it's very difficult. And it's that yeah. kind of extreme that we're sitting at. And it's about understanding it is what it is. How do we deal with it? And how do we move forward in a way that grows everything? And that's why, you know, what you said, leadership is bringing people along with you. There's no point in being angry and slagging everybody off because all we, 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 we sit with with is that um, that 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 you know we can stir up a whole lot of a hatred. Um, and yeah. You don't have to dig too deep to find it. 
Yes, it's very easy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, on a lighter note, I told listeners last night that um, I wanted you last night, but you were having a, a, a Valentine's dinner with your wife. <laughs> I'm sure. Yes. I'm sure she was glad that we weren't going to cut that short. <laughs> she she gave me one of those looks that, did, and she didn't say anything, yeah. but I understood the look. Yeah. and that's and I think that's to summarise this. It's it's about it's about listening to each other even if it is in a relationship it's about exactly. hearing a look you don't even have to speak a language you you know how to read the look <laughs> no, but it's exactly right and yeah. i think i think if we start our approach with saying i want to hear what the other person has to say um we have such a very different way of engaging you know that was my response um to what we saw with the state of the nation address last week right of everyone screaming at each other yeah. and i just thought Yes, there are a lot of issues beneath the surface surface here. There are a lot of issues to be dealt with. The one thing that's so very obvious is we've got a bunch of political leaders who are not listening to each other. They're not showing each other the respect I think they deserve. Um, And once you get into that sort of position where you're just screaming and it's coming from a point of hatred or anger or frustration, I think it's hard to then build that social fabric I talked about. Yeah, and it becomes a you know a pissing competition of, uh, of yes. you know who's yeah. going to um, twist the rules to to suit your agenda and and the agenda should be that we're building something new and it's it's sometimes though we need to have things fall apart before we can we can grow them up again and so instead of being filled with despair when we see those kinds of showings, we have to remember that, that sometimes these are the things that stir discussions that take us to another level. Um, yeah. And, and it, it, it's, sometimes we get stuck and, 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 and become filled with despair and think we're never going to get anywhere. Um, but the truth is that we've come a long way. Um, and it might seem when we, when we hit these kind of walls that that people think, oh, no, I can't believe we're still there. But it's about, yeah. you know, taking a deep breath in and understanding that we none of us are perfect. <laughs> um, yeah. And, 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 and our work has just begun. Yeah. I, I think often we think, oh, well, we had the 1994 elections, we had Nelson Mandela's president, all the hard work's done. Mm. For me, that was just the start of the hard mm. work of, of building our society. Mm. Um, and... You know, I, I, I get this often around people saying, well, you know, our constitution talks about, you know, non-racial society. Why do we still have these racial labels? Um, and you mentioned earlier people kind of wanting to reject the, the colored label. I, I think the reason why certainly the racial labels and, and identifying and acknowledging um, the race groups in South Africa is important is because the injustices were committed along racial lines. And so reparations have to happen along those racial lines. That's different from saying we're endorsing racism. Um, it, it's, it's acknowledging that we are using the same criteria that was used to commit those injustices to begin to remedy them. Um, I think just acknowledging the different race groups is fine. It's kind of what they come to mean to us. Now, under apartheid, the race groups meant a hierarchy of moral value. Um, I think in, in, in our society today, it doesn't mean anything in terms of a moral hierarchy. Being colored or black or white says nothing about your importance because we do stand all, stand equally in front of, before the law. I think it matters only to the extent that we are trying to remedy past injustices. And other than that, it's about our cultural identity, our sense of belonging. And I think we all, we all need that sense of belonging. Yeah, and, and we need to do it together. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, On a lighter note, I was sharing people your comment about Donald Trump's shoes. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. Um, tell us, tell was, us again. It, it, was, it was such a bizarre experience because uh. I was studying at MIT, and so he came along to give this lecture, and of course he's you know, this larger-than-life um, character, and they selected a subset of us to go and meet with him afterwards, you know, having a little cocktail discussion. So I think there were 10 or 15 of us um, standing in a semicircle chatting. Um, and, of course, he was dominating the conversation. He wouldn't shake anyone's hands because, of course, we were, you know, packed with germs probably. Um, <laughs> and, and of course, you know, I noticed his, his, his bizarre hairstyle. But then I began looking down and saw his shoes, and his shoes were scuffed. They were, like, genuinely scuffed, like they hadn't been polished for two weeks, and that, you know, they were kind of parts of the toes where the leather was, was, was actually scuffed off. Um, and it's just bizarre to me that this billionaire, larger-than-life guy with everything manicured perfectly has these damaged, scuffed, non-polished shoes. Mm. Um, and so quite um, enjoyed seeing this little wrinkle in his otherwise perfect uh, portrayal of himself. And I bet you, when you grew up, you, you were skilled by some matriarch who told you you had to clean your shoes or, or, or father. Who, oh, absolutely. You know, I absolutely. mean, and your shoes, you had to work those shoes um, uh, because they were exactly. precious, you know. <laughs> no, they were. And, and the sort of phrase, we can tell a lot about a man by shoes, Yeah, um, certainly stuck with me. I'm not sure what you could tell about a man by shoes, but um, yeah, there was definitely the sense of you know, anything else could be sloppy, but not your shoes. <laughs> um, and which, of course, the picture on the cover of Pushing Boulders has my brother and I with our scuffed shoes and no shoelaces. Um, I love that picture. It's a lovely picture. We're going to tweet it um, and we'll put it with uh, the SoundCloud that we put um, of this okay. conversation. Tell us what you're doing in Oxford. So I'm, um, I've been on a long path of, of studies for the last five years. Um, it took me to Harvard, to London School of Economics, and now at Oxford, um, doing a doctorate in, in political philosophy, but thinking very deeply about social justice and some of the institutional changes one needs in society to further social justice, um, with the idea that, obviously, I'll, you know, I'll return home um, to work towards social justice at both a policy level and an academic level. It's... It's a kind of academic record that I don't think anyone can can meet. I mean, I, I don't know anyone who's 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 had that kind of academic trajectory that you have. Um, you, you must I, be incredibly proud. Oh, I am. I I I I, I'm, I feel incredibly privileged, uh, yeah. Lindsay. To be honest, I you know I the the the, the, the statement that people have sort of described it as I'm the only person ever to earn five master's degrees from five of the world's top universities, because I did MIT, Harvard, London Business School, London School of Economics, and, and, and Oxford. Mm. And um, I mean, Oxford and MIT were dreams of mine. So when I was a teenager and my, you know, my peers were dreaming of playing for their favorite soccer team or joining <laughs> a band, yeah. I was dreaming of going to MIT and going to Oxford. So um, being here is incredibly special for me. It also just proves this point around having your dreams and working towards them. Yeah, and, and mediocrity um, wasn't a choice for you. It wasn't. It was, it was about excellence. Yeah. Um, yeah. In Pushing Boulders, I tell the story where I was offered a scholarship to go to a low-ranking university in the U.S., a full scholarship to go and study there. Um, but I wanted to go to MIT, and I couldn't get funding to go to MIT. So literally, I had this choice at the age of 24. Um, go to a low-ranking university, fully paid, or go to the University of My Dreams, the top-ranked university in the world, but go there with no money. Um, and, of course, I chose to go to MIT with no money. Mm. Um, 
And so that's who you are. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think if you, if you, I think anyone who's achieved anything that they're proud of, we know we've had to make sacrifices yeah. um, and not accept second best. And I think it's important uh, that you highlight there's no glamour in that. To go off to MIT with no money, you know, you, you, you say it, but, you know, that must have been a hell of a challenge. No, I lived, I lived as a homeless person in Boston. I, I scavenged for food. I, for many months, had, had you know, no, no idea how I was going to pay for my fees or just survive. Mm. Um, and eventually the university found out about me and then created a scholarship for me. Um, local people kind of, you know, you know, met me and eventually some people gave me bedding. Um, Etc., which was a great, great point of embarrassment for me. Mm. Um, but it was something I, you know, wanted to do to achieve what I wanted. So often I hear that people say, Oh, you know, you're so lucky. And I sort of smile and yeah. <laughs> say, so yeah. You knew the real story. Yeah. Um, and and the, the, the truth is that it's, it's your, it's not just the dream, it's the determination, because people have dreams. Um, and it, it takes courage. I mean, you speak of that courage to walk and courage to walk toward your dream. Yeah. But, you know, being homeless is not normally something that people put into the when they think of a path towards the dream. You know, it's it's not sexy. Yeah, no, it's definitely not sexy. And it's scary. Yeah. It really is scary. Um, and for me, um, it was always this question of at what point do I go, just go back home? At what point do I accept yeah. defeat? Yeah. And I think that's, again, this difficulty. I, you know, I love this image of, of pushing the boulder up the hill. Yeah. And you, you push it up the hill and you get to some point near the apex, then the boulder rolls all the way back down. And now you've got a choice. You can say, mm-hmm. look, I can just abandon this whole endeavor or I go all the way back down the hill again and start pushing that boulder up again. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, that that idea of resilience and focus on what you're trying to achieve, I think that's where character's made um, when we are willing to go and not just get, get up and dust ourselves off, but actually go and repeat what we've been doing and push that boulder up the hill again. Mm. And I think it's a scary space because I think, I think most of us, when we face obstacles, um, we, we give up. Um, and it's, um, I think those who are willing to you know, pick a boulder up again, um, I think that's what makes all the difference, to be honest. Well, I also like that, you know, your success hasn't, you know, you, you, as you say, your book, the proceeds go towards assisting other people. Um, so it's, it's not even your determination is to, to, towards getting there. You haven't forgotten that being a role model is one thing, but giving back is much more concrete. Yeah, I, I mean... I subscribe absolutely to the idea that um, you know, I can't be free if we're all not free. Um, and it's, there's a massive incongruence for me to be living a life of, of indulgence when people around me are suffering. Um, and you know, this wasn't always the case. There was a period where I had you know, six luxury cars. I had a Lamborghini and a Rolls Royce and every brand new BMW you could, could conceive of. And, the, and, and at some point that hit me, that that, that that sort of hypocrisy hit me mm, mm. of saying, how can I possibly um, live this way? And I could mm. justify it, as we all can. You yeah. know, I've worked really hard. I've studied yeah. really hard. I deserve the fruits of these things. But we live, this is the point we were saying all through this discussion, Lindsay, of we live in a context in South Africa where we just have to do things very differently. Mm. And, mm. and for me, that's what happened. I, I you loved, know, as I loved, much as I could justify. I love that it was the death of your father that made you rethink what success meant. It was. It, that, was a, that was a big catalyst because that began making me think about what's important in my life at a very young age, at age 28. Um, 
And for me, when I answered that question, it was family was important and being at home, um, helping my fellow South Africans thrive, that became important to me. Um, but even that, you know, even then it took me 10 years to kind of really begin to make the change I needed to make. And I think sometimes change does take time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I then, um, at some point, um, sold all those cars, sold the big house, used all those funds to um, develop this NGO, Read to Rise, and some other efforts to begin to you know, help others thrive. And, I, you know, I'm not doing it because, um, I don't know, you know, trying to be altruistic about it. Um, I do think it's a duty for us as South Africans to, to work towards uplifting um, everyone around us. Um, I, I can't understand how someone can... Uh, like I said earlier, live a life of indulgence and luxury and struggle to give 45 rand for a child to have a brand new book. Mm, um, it's mm. just me, incomprehensible. Mm. And as, as a wordsmith, um, it, it is, it must be so important for you. I mean, you know in your journey how important reading and has been. And the other thing that must be amazing for you is having studied in so many of these top in- institutions is that in, in a sense you get taken out of the mire that we can get into in South Africa and <clears throat> you, you realize the a bigger picture um, and it is a picture of upliftment. It doesn't matter where you are um, and it's of understanding um, social contexts around the world. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think you do get a different perspective on some of our challenges at home and I think also you see hope. Um, now I have I have the luxury of you know, going for wonderful walks along the canal in Oxford um, and along the river in Oxford. But it's not just, again, this idea of indulgence of that, but I keep thinking this can happen in South Africa. Yes. You know, this must be what we must work towards. And, you know, in England's history, that civil war. So they were in our you know, position worse. In the U.S., they had times of civil war and major social up, up, upheaval. So they've had worse than what we've got. There are many parts of the world that actually have had it worse than we've got it in South Africa at some point. And what's wonderful about visiting some places like that is you see there is hope at the, at the other end of it um, if we're willing to do what it takes to get there. And so it makes me incredibly hopeful um, sometimes going outside of South Africa for perspective, mm. but also the idea of saying it can be done and it will be done. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's sometimes it's so easy to get stuck in in the as you say you know the 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 aggression of Parliament when people are getting stuck um, and and sometimes we just have to take a deep breath in and move on. I think we do. I think we have to remind ourselves of what we're trying to achieve and why we're doing it. Um, so I think part of our democracy, it's very important to have contestation of ideas and ideals. We, it's not about let's all get along and be happy. The, the fact is, different people have different ideas of what a good life is. And so we've set up the institutions to have the debates, to have the shouting matches, but also to listen to each other and to mm. find constructive ways of coming to resolution around those things. Mm, mm. And I think we need to keep reminding ourselves of that. You know, we often have party, you know, party politics aggression um, and, you know, some of it is fine, but at the end of the day, we remind ourselves of what we're trying to achieve here, and it's about improving the lives and the life prospects of people around us. Mm. Um, when do you plan to get back to South Africa? Um, I've got a short visit next week, um, but yeah, you know, I'm back every month. I'm back in South Africa literally every month, which is you know hard work sometimes. No, I'm talking about um, properly. <laughs> but properly, yes. Oh, it, you know what I mean, most. <laughs> <laughs> 
It, um, I'm not sure exactly when I'll finish up here. Uh, it could be later this year or, worst case, in two years' time. Okay. Um, so, um, so, you know, doing a doctorate kind of varies in, in its length, yes. but depending yes. on how quickly you're moving. Yeah. Um, but worst case, 2019. And it's quite nice that you do dip back into South Africa um, because it gives you also there's nothing like coming home when you are working or studying somewhere else. Um, you greet you greet it with new eyes every time you come back. It's exactly, and it keeps me it keeps me in touch with what's happening. Yes, um, but of course, you know, we we've got the NGO. So, um, you know, for example, next week we're launching um, our third children's book um, and children's school program. So, I write these little books called Oki. Um, Oki books, it's Oki series, but acorns that grow into big trees. And we go into schools and we distribute these books to children. We distribute over 40,000 of these books to children in the country um, and then deliver this very exciting, interactive, dynamic program in the classroom. Um, so we're launching our third book next week, um, our third program. And so I get involved in the schools and get involved, obviously, with, with our team um, who are running the programs on a daily basis. So I need to be back home every now and then. Yeah, and it's a, and it's wonderful work that you're doing there. Um, I was chatting with Sasaba G about this World Read Aloud Day and that that whole yes. sense of 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 reading to young people and giving them the magic of the story. And um, what you're doing is is very powerful because I think that so needs to be done. And I think that's where it starts, Lindsay. I yeah, think yeah. you know when we we are measuring, we're getting very hung up on our trick pass rates and yeah. and all these things. And, and it's too you know, late. Interventions, it's too late. Yep. Interventions yep. at high school are too late. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly why we start in foundation phase. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got a situation in South Africa where you know most children have never owned a book. Um, most children cannot read even functionally by the time they get to grade four. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you if you're in grade four and you can't read. Um, basically, the rest of your education yeah. is, um, you know, is, is going to be lost on you. Yeah. And for me, these are massive injustices that need to be addressed. And so it's at that level we work. It's around creating excitement um, for reading, getting children to want to learn to read. Um, absolutely, I think, the most important investment we can make. Yeah. And, and to read stories that are, are written by people they can relate to. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it was so strange because I the story is about an acorn that grows to an oak tree, and only after I wrote it did I discover that you know oak tree isn't indigenous to South Africa. Uh, so I thought, well, I can't change that now. So um, wow. the, the oak tree always has um, colonialist animals around it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Colonialist. I know there'll be, be, be many who will accuse me of that. Um, but, but it, you know, but it so, is such so. a symbol. I mean, to plant, you know, the the seed, uh, and of course, the oak tree hadn't thought of that. Um, yeah. So, what tree would you have to plant? Um. Well, yellowwood. Um, um, yeah. But I haven't. Again, you know, I haven't been yeah. caught up getting yeah. getting hung up on that. It's about um, this profound message yeah. that, that we're sharing with children, and so you know, his friends are the zebra and the squirrel and you yeah. know the swallow, which is indigenous, etc. But um, so for us, it's about reading, but also about the, the, the content of the stories. Yes. Because there are so yes. many sto- children's stories that, are, that perpetuate stereotypes. So we're talking yes. about stereotypes again. Yes. Gender stereotypes, racial violence. It's yes. amazing how much violence there is in children's stories. So we're very careful about what we give to children to make sure none of these stereotypes get perpetuated. Um, and we try to inspire them. Um, you know, and that's linked to my, my story in Pushing Boulders, that an inspired person can rise above the circumstances.
Um, now, you know, imagine that eight-year-old or nine-year-old who's living in a terrible socioeconomic environment. Um, I, I keep believing that if we can inspire that child and plant that seed within them, mm. amazing things can happen in their lives. Um, um, and so that's really what we're trying to do. Yeah, and and it's it's about instead of bemoaning um, the the lack of reading, it's to just to settle down and find the stories um, that create that spark. Um, yeah. Because once you've got a love for reading, it's it's a lifelong friend. It stays with you. It yeah. Absolutely stays with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's the basic tools we need um, in you know, in a knowledge economy. It's mm. the basic tools we need, and that again goes back. Um, I love how we keep cycling back to our issues that we talked about earlier. But if you think about the the sort of structural oppression faced for most coloured and black South Africans, um, the idea that education systems were not designed for us to be educated, to be critical thinkers. Um, now we have the chance to do that, although we need the resources to do that. Yeah. Um, and so our education system absolutely needs to be shaken in a major way. I think for us to, to achieve full freedom, uh, we need to give our children the opportunity to, to be educated, to be critical thinkers. Yeah, and part of that is to, to look at the kind of texts that are foisted on them. Athel, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you, and thank you. And 